Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Welcome back to CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm Navy veteran Phil Briggs. And shortly after I concluded our interview with our previous guest, I received an email from the guy we were talking about during our interview, Army veteran Matt Zeller. Almost immediately, we were able to jump onto a Zoom call. And the following is that call along with an incredible surprise that happened in the opening seconds of the interview. This guy was in the scrum and cobble four days ago. This is Nazar. Kristen, come here. Hello, sir. Nazar, damn glad to meet you, brother. How are you? Glad to meet you too, sir. This is Kristen. They served together. They haven't seen each other in 12 years. She helped him get through that scrum and get out. No way. We've got an actual reunion. First time in over 10 years here in your house. Matt Zeller. Awesome. Yep. Thank oh. you, guys. Thank you, everyone. Oh, my gosh. It's uh, uh, you are you exemplify the million stories that I want to tell. I am so glad you're here. An obvious question, but like, how long have you wanted this to occur? And how does it feel to be here now? I'm feeling uh, so excited. I cannot even put it in words. Of course, without Matt and Christine's effort, it wouldn't have been possible. Uh, it has been almost a decade since we were struggling. And uh, these guys uh, worked so hard on this. Did you always know that you wanted to emigrate to the United States? Or did you think that we had a chance 10 years ago to get it right and maybe you could stay? We were fighting common enemies. Like my main goal at the time was to be the Taliban. But uh, when things changed, uh, so it's a bit different now. This IV started later. Well, it was your lifeboat. I mean, that's what it was. We yeah. all believed in this mission and thought we could get it yeah. done. And the SIV was, you know, the option of last resort. Right. 
Well, we're glad you're here. I'm sorry for everything that has gone on in the last few years and months, but welcome to the crazy family that is America. You will soon soon learn that we are just as crazy uh, <laughs> as anybody else. Happy we to are be so glad to this. have you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, guys. I'm very happy to be here. All right, guys. I figured you'd want to. Yeah, thank you for breaking that with me, man. No Welcome. doubt. We are like less than a minute into our interview and you already dropped something breaking on me. And I love that um, because no I've literally seen you on every cable network probably once a day for the last seven days. So I know you're one of the busiest man in the veteran community. Let's start with an intro real quick. Matt Zeller is a U.S. Army combat veteran who deployed to Afghanistan, a former officer with the CIA. He's also the co-founder of No One Left Behind, an organization working to help bring our interpreters and allies home to America. He's the author of Watches Without Time, which chronicles his experience serving as an embedded combat advisor with Afghan security forces in Ghanzi, Afghanistan, back in 2008. Matt is also working with the Association of Wartime Allies, who are helping, working behind the scenes, working fervently around the clock, often without sleep lately, to help our allies and interpreters manage the visa program and bring them home to safety. So good, man. I heard you on Paul Reichoff's podcast, Independent American. Damn glad to have you on CBSI on Veterans. Thanks for having me. Let's look back first from that interview I just mentioned on the Independent American podcast, man. Your first experience with an interpreter, you told an epic story about a firefight on a ridgeline. Some South Carolina boys and some New York boys show, showed up ready to get their gun on, and you, your life saved by one man named Janice. Unpack that with me and tell me a little bit about it. Sure. Uh, so it was the 14th day I'd been in Afghanistan. Uh, my job was, as you said, an embedded combat advisor. So I actually lived on an Afghan military outpost and our job was to ostensibly have trained them to one day be able to replace us. Um, I'll tell you that even as late into the war as 2008 and as far back as then that that is now, we felt that those folks had a long time of development to go before they were ever going to be proficient enough to take on the Taliban. You know, we thought it would be generational, to be quite honest. We had gone out to assess this police outpost where uh, I remember asking the police commander of his ragtag, essentially militia, they had, you know, what, how much territory he controlled. And he, he pointed uh, a big circle and he said, I control everything within 700 meters. I said, that's awful specific. And he said, that's as far as my weapon can shoot. Everything else beyond that is the Taliban's. So long story short, uh, we had done our assessment at his outpost. We were on our way back to our base, and the maps and the satellite imagery that we had were from 1984. They were 24 years old. They were two. I was two years old when they were created, to, to give you an example of just how old this stuff was. Um, I was 26 at the, at the time of this firefight, but uh, we were lost, and we had stopped to ask a farmer basically how to get back to the main highway, and he pointed us into a Taliban ambush. Um, Hour-long firefight kicked off. They destroyed two of our vehicles. The first one they destroyed with a roadside bomb. The second one they destroyed with an RPG. That was my vehicle. An hour into this, uh, I, we had been pinned down for a while. Um, I was told later by a drone operator that had, been, had an, an unarmed drone loitering over us that they saw that it was 50 of the Taliban versus the 15 of us. We had been running low on our ammunition. You know, I don't think we would have been able to sustain a fight much longer. We needed reinforcements. And what had happened was, was while we were in this battle, the remainder of our training team back in our little outpost had decided that they were going to spin up their own rescue convoy. 
a lot of people don't know this. They they broke and violated direct orders not to go. They were told to act at most as a radio retransmission unit. And uh, basically, they claimed that they couldn't establish radio communications until we were within visual sight. That's how they got around violating the order. But they weren't going to lead us out there by on our own. And so when they left that outpost to come get us, they asked for volunteers. And an interpreter by the name of Janice stood, stepped forward and said, I'll go, went and grabbed his personal AK-47, you know, his his personal body armor that he had bought out of the bazaar that was this old Indian Army surplus stuff that wouldn't have done pretty much anything. Put on his old U.S. 1980s, 90s, you know, Army uniform, the, the jungle camis, the BDUs, and mounted up. I hadn't met when he arrived on the battlefield and saw what was going on. He saw I was pinned down. And that there were these two guys running across the battlefield that were about to get me dead to rights because I wasn't paying any attention to them. And he ran across the battlefield and knocked me out of the way and killed them at the same time, saving my life right before they were about to shoot me. At the time he did this, I had met him 10 days prior one time. We had been in a receiving line and I had said all of the following to him. I said, hi, my name is Matt. I look forward to working with you. And he said, hi, my name is Janice. Nice to meet you. And that was it. I'd gone on to the next interpreter. And here he was a, basically a complete stranger. Now, as responsible for my existence as my parents are. Like that day, April 28th, is my alive day. And Janice and I, you know, mark it as such because without him and his actions, you know, the president talked about people being, he didn't want to bury any of our sons, more of our America's sons and daughters at Arlington. But I also can't help but realize that without Janice, I'd be one of those people at Arlington. And that's what makes what's going on now so deeply personal in Afghanistan, because the idea that, you know, we're recording this just after the it broke on CNN that the president is going to keep to the August 31st deadline, which is Taliban imposed basically because of a matter of logistics and the sheer chaos at the airport means there's no possible way we can actually truly take the Afghans with whom we could not have functioned without the last 20 years, the Afghans whom we made a fundamental promise to, we are going to betray thousands of people are going to die because of this betrayal. And I can't even begin to discuss the moral injury that's coming amongst veterans within our little, you know, I shouldn't say little, our now global digital Dunkirk movement. I'm personally tracking of at least three suicides. That's the thing that's terrifying me is we, we already had an epidemic. I now fear that, you know, what comes next is a surge. And, and, and that is a, a sentiment that was warned to me by countless Vietnam veterans with whom I spoke about this issue and this work going back years. I'll never forget Jan Scruggs, who is, um, if you've ever been to the Vietnam Veterans Memorial in Washington, D.C., you have Jan Scruggs to, to thank for its existence. He raised the funds. He got the foundation set up to build it. He's an American hero, as far as I'm concerned. And Jan had me over to his his house in Annapolis, and I'll never forget, he walked me into his office, and he had a, a picture waiting on the desk. And it was of him, of a much younger man, with his Vietnamese interpreter. And he pointed at that photo and said, I've spent the last half century wondering what in the hell happened to this guy. 
you and your fellow brothers and sisters don't need that additional moral injury on top of everything else you're carrying. It's a bunch of bullshit that, quite frankly, you don't need to be burdened with. That's why I'm going to help you now, because we can't do it all over again. We can't have another Vietnam. And that sentiment, let me tell you something, that was echoed to me by Senator McCain. Three days after Janice arrived in the United States, there's CBS News footage. I I suggest that since you all work together, maybe you pull it. (laughs) Three days after Janice arrived, uh, Senator Shaheen and McCain had us, him and I, along with his immigration attorney, a lady by the name of Katie Reisner, up to their off to Senator Shaheen's office to meet with them personally. Jan Crawford came and, and filmed us. There's a whole sequence where we're all shaking hands with each other. They got to do some B-roll. Then they let the cameras left, the doors closed, and then the real meeting began. And Janice and Katie and I recounted for the two senators and their respective chiefs of staff the at this point, like the tragic comic saga it took to get Janice Shinwari his visa, right? I mean, it ended up taking a national media campaign and the personal intervention of a couple members of Congress just for me to be able to expedite his visa after four years of waiting. So we sat them down to try to explain to them all of that point, the deficiencies in the program and recommended solutions. And I'll never forget after Senator McCain sat there patiently and listened to the whole thing, he turned to Senator Shaheen and said, damn it, Gene, it's another Vietnam all over again. We can't let this happen. He was pissed. He he saw what was coming. And he said, you have my full support. We have to make sure this never occurs. And here's the problem is, look, I'm, I know I've been beating up on the Biden administration for failing to plan this evacuation properly and for ha- failing to have heeded our warnings that, that they should have been doing this months ago and following the plan that we laid out and recommended, which anybody can read at evacuateourallies.org. But equal blame also lies with the Trump administration. Like, let's be very clear. The reason why there were we were tracking as the day Kabul fell, we were tracking at least 88,000 just Afghan wartime allies, meaning Afghan interpreters and their families who the government knew of that were in the, the visa application system for the special immigration visa. 88,000 people, 20,000 principal applicants, meaning 20,000 interpreters plus their their spouses and their children, which on average historically has been 4.4 people. So you do the math. 20,000 times 4.4, 88,000 people. Okay. The reason why the number was that high was because Stephen Miller purposely set out to destroy the special immigration visa program while the Trump administration held office. The president has the power under the INA, Section 212F, 8 U.S.C., 1182F, to suspend the entry of aliens when it's in the national interest. He has that same power under his Article 2 powers to conduct the foreign affairs of our country. The numbers of arrivals prove how effective he was. For the last three years of the Obama administration, our country welcomed, on average, 4,000 Afghan families. And that's really important because at that point, they were basically, for every application the State Department could get out the door, they were receiving a brand new one in, right? So it was just a one-for-one kind of thing where there was a backlog that had been created under the Obama administration. They did not manage this program effectively. And that's why the, there was an initial backlog. But they were working through that backlog, and it would have been cleared By the end of the Trump administration, had the Trump administration simply kept in place the Obama administration's policies instead, because Stephen Miller thinks of these people in just an abhorrent way. And because he is an evil, vile man, 
who I will again reiterate should be held accountable for the war crimes that he has committed because the thousands of Afghans who are now going to be left behind to die and be killed by the Taliban, the hundreds of Afghans that we know about who are already killed by the Taliban while waiting for these visas, who should be here alive today and would have been had he not intervened. He is just as complicit in their deaths as the Taliban thugs who ended up murdering these people. This is an ideological disagreement between those who believe we should have borders and should have controls and those who believe there should be no borders and no controls. And the bottom line is the president's powers in this area represent the apex of executive authority. That man is the worst of us. The Trump administration in its first year, the When they took office, we were welcoming 4,000 Afghan families. By the end of their first year, it was down to just under 2,000. By the end of their second year, they had halved it even further. Their last two years, it was under a couple hundred families, maybe at most, when we could have been welcoming in thousands. And what happened? While we were welcoming no one because they had purposely shut down the program, more and more people kept applying. More and more people kept applying. And that backlog built, and it built, and it built. And then the Biden administration got handed the keys to the kingdom, and this is where they now begin to take responsibility. We told them, you have this problem. We wrote them a report. We gave it to them as early as February. We spent an inordinate amount of time in that report talking about the systematic failures of the special immigration visa program, how the Trump administration had purposely and maliciously set out to ensure that it did not function as designed and that visas could not be issued through it. And that as a result of that, the backlog was simply too large to be able to effectively process given the time constraints of a what we were tracking at the time that we wrote the report, a one May withdrawal deadline, because that's what the Trump administration had negotiated with the Taliban. To put this in perspective, if we were going to rely solely on the special immigration visa program to have effectively processed all of these visas, we calculated that at the time the Biden administration took office. Even if they had quadrupled the number of staff processing visas, it would still have taken four years to get through the backlog. So there's just no way that this program works. So we begin recommending immediately, you have to start evacuating these people now. While back then in February, when we're telling them this, while it's winter, while it's not fighting season, while we control all of the air bases still in Afghanistan, while we can do this methodically, because our nightmare scenario is exactly what is playing out under the the Biden administration. A chaotic collapse down to one airport with one functioning runway and a message that goes out at the 11th hour that if you were an ally and you are or and or a citizen and you want out of Afghanistan, the only way you can get out is if you get to this one location, if you get to the X by this deadline. We tried to warn them. And no one listened. Kind of advance this now to uh, something I just saw on your Twitter feed earlier today. And that is uh, you talking with uh, one of the news networks about why we don't negotiate our current timeline for evacuation with the Taliban. I wouldn't even think you'd have to say that out loud don't negotiate with the Taliban and come at the rest of the world from a point of strength. 
talk to us about where we stand today with our withdrawal deadline of August 31st. Well, I don't remember again. I just learned that as of the 23rd of August, so as of yesterday, the Taliban now control who gets to land at the airport. They have a representative in the tower. Only U.S. and NATO planes are allowed to land. That's why no commercial flights are being allowed in or out. Um, they made it clear that if we weren't out by the 31st, they were going to begin shooting down aircraft, urban street war, you know, everything. And we capitulated. I mean, let's let's call a spade a spade. We are letting the Taliban now dictate the withdrawal. The Taliban also announced publicly today. So, I mean, think about this methodic takeover. They're now in the airport. They now control who gets to land and who gets to take off. They now have the security perimeter around the outside of the airport. And it's not the thugs that you've been seeing on TV that had really no control of the crowd. People out there now are the Haqqanis, which they're the ones that are all dressed up looking like they're U.S. Special Forces. Um, They are very well trained. They're not just there for show. And uh, they have no compulsion about using the most horrific force of violence on people to maintain that order. So they take over the airport. They're now in charge of who gets to take off and land. And now they're telling us we have to be out by the 31st. And they're telling Afghans that if you're not a U.S. citizen or a green card holder, you can't go to the airport. They're not going to let you. I had a, a guy that was trying to get out for last week, yesterday. We, we had an operation that we, the New York Times reported about it. We had a couple hundred of these special immigrant visa applicants ready to be brought into the wire. And when we started the movement, they got to an internal State Department checkpoint inside the airport. And because they weren't U.S. citizens or green card holders, even though they are on the evacuation list and they're, they're interpreters, they're special immigrant visa applicants, right? They got kicked out. And when my guy went back to where they were, when my guy went back to where they were all being staged, he said the Taliban were there at that point, these Haqqani Taliban. And they were being sorted into two groups, American citizens and green card holders. And everybody else. And so they said to the American green card holders, you can go to the airport. And then they turned to everyone else and they said, hi, so you're the ones who all used to work for the United States and you were trying to leave. We know who you are now. You can go home. That is chilling because we know in the outlying cities where there isn't an international presence, where we're getting very little word out of them because they've cut the Internet in places like Kandahar. The word that we're getting out that was getting out before they cut the internet was horrific. Mass executions, door-to-door searches, people being disappeared in the middle of the night. We got a report today that at least nine of the prosecutors and the judges of the former Afghan government in the province of Baglan were executed in a mass execution within the last 48 hours. I mean, think of a bookend to a war. The, the war begins with images of people falling out of a building. And the war ends with people potentially of images of people falling off of a plane. One of those individuals who was so desperate to flee the Taliban and get out was a 17-year-old kid who was part of the Afghan National Youth Soccer Program. Came from a pretty poor area of the city, um, an area, by the way, that's targeted often for its ethnic minority. They were Shia Muslims. And um, he was so desperate to get out, he held on to the side of a C-17 and tried to pull a Tom Cruise, you know, just so he could get away because there was no future for him. The Taliban don't allow sports. They're going to convert the soccer stadium back to it was in the 90s, a site where they held mass executions. And as we speak today, that is something that we haven't yet visualized. But in your estimation, as a guy that's been on the ground and as a veteran that has served alongside these guys, you didn't stutter there. You are certain that that's what we will be seeing, say, a month from now. You know what? You could almost put a month to the day.
Well, let's uh, let's now look forward. Let's talk about this hashtag digital Dunkirk. What can I do? Uh, I've reached out to some faith-based groups that I think are doing the right thing, but can you help direct me to where I can direct resources? Okay, so there's a lot of people who want to help get people out of Afghanistan, and uh, please continue to help us do that. But I think, let's be honest, if we're leaving by the 31st, we, the the operation is now going to transition to something which is called a retrograde, which is us pulling out and pulling our own forces back. And we just surged, you know, almost about ten thousand troops into the country that now need to be them that they they themselves now to be taken out by you know a week. We have one week to do it. That's going to take time. So I don't see a lot of other of our allies getting out anymore. Um, so if the American people will, will really want to be of help, um since it's clear that the president's mind can't be changed. Um, the best thing that they can do is help welcome the people who are going to come our way. We're about to get some amazing new citizens. I promise you, if you, if you open up your homes and your hearts to these people, they're going to enrich your lives in ways that you can't even begin to imagine. They're going to be at your Thanksgiving dinner table. And I promise you, you'll end up joining them to, to, you know, to do something called iftar, which is the meal that you, you eat at, at Ramadan when you break the fast. Um, they're going to be your neighbors and your friends and your coworkers and your, your children's classmates. And here's what they need from you. They're not just refugees. They're returning war veterans. You know, I did one tour. Janice did nine. He went on to the next unit, and the next mission over and over and over again. They have all of the life needs that a returning war veteran has. They've experienced all of that trauma. They're going to need to talk to other vets. That's the the connection that they're going to crave is vet to vet. That thing that you only can tell by looking at somebody's eyes that they've been there and they've done that and they get it. They need that type of connection because it's healing and it's healthy and it's going to help them stabilize and transition. They need you to not just invite you into their homes. They need you to invite them into your, your communities and your jobs, help them find employment. You know, I remember when Janice first arrived here, he, he, he got heartburn real quick because our food's a little bit more greasy than what they're used to. And I took him to CVS to get him some Tums. When I went to pay for it with a credit card, he had no idea how there had been a transaction. And I had to explain to him what a credit card was that that's some of the life experience that these people are about to be shocked by and what you need to be prepared to be is that 3 a.m. phone call. And I promise you this, if you do so, you're going to find people who, well, veterans already get this, but for Americans who have yet to meet our wonderful new neighbors, they're never going to let you go hungry. Their food is delicious. And you will never be without a safe, warm place to sleep if you need it. That's how hospitable these people are. They will literally give you the clothes off of their back if they felt it would help you. Um, and so the organization's trying to assist them are a combination of the following. Uh, there's a, or Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Services, Catholic Charities, um, the International Rescue Committee, HIAS, uh, which is a Jewish-affiliated organization, Church World Services, No One Left Behind. These organizations actually help with the resettlement of these individuals. And let's be clear, they, they most of their budgets come from private funders. Some of them used to get government support, but when you think back to the Trump administration, they decimated that. They cut their budgets, they cut the government funding. And so in turn, many of these organizations, in fact, all of them had to cut staff. And I mean, really cut staff, close offices, shut down programs. They're operating at a skeleton of what they should be to deal with the problem that's about to come their way, which means they really need your charity and your volunteering. They need you to show up with your dollars 
and with your hours. They need you to be these people's first friends. And they need you, if you have the ability to employ them or help them find employment, get that first job. Because finding that first job is so critical to plugging in. We have a gig economy in this country. Uh, a lot of people find you know, that they can immediately plug into the labor force by doing some type of delivery service, be it Uber Eats or Amazon or you know, Instacart, right? What does that require? It requires a car. So if there are people out there who have used cars, that car you thought you might, you might just donate for the tax write-off, or you might trade it in because you're going to get a couple of grand back. You know who really needs that car? It's one of these people because it's going to immediately allow them to pr- plug in to the gig economy and start working. And let me tell you something. Every Afghan that I've known who've come here, and, and I know a lot of them now, I've, I've met a, a ton of them in, in the eight years that I've been working on this, this, this mission, they get here and they become some of the most entrepreneurial people within our communities. My, my favorite example is this guy named Ajmal. When he first arrived in the United States, he was basically homeless, you know, nowhere to live, nowhere to take care of him, right? Uh, he's now one of the largest real estate agents in the greater DC area. All the Afghans who move here buy their homes through Fakiri real estate. And he actually employs several Afghans as fellow realtors. They're not job takers, they're job creators. They're the exact type of Americans that I would welcome into my own home. In fact, you, you saw earlier, I've got one of them staying here indefinitely until he finds his own place, right? That is how much um, our country now needs to step up. And that's what the digital Dunkirk movement is going to be transitioning to. It began with the evacuation of these people. It's going to continue, by the way, in Afghanistan. We're, just because the government is pulling out doesn't mean that our veterans are. We have people on the ground right now. Um, there is a uh, what we call it Operation Dynamo 2. It's an actual Entebbe style um, pr- privately funded flight, uh, a series of flights into different cities inside of Afghanistan to pick people up and pull them out. Ongoing as you and I are speaking right now, um, all organized by veterans, you know, trying to get this done on our own, because just because the American government has decided that it's done with these people doesn't mean that the American people are. And we're not going to stop until. The, the commitment was simple. No one left behind, even if this takes years, because that was our commitment. Hmm. And uh, that's where we need the American people to now step up is to uh, that's the next phase of this operation is uh, Operation Welcome Home. From digital Dunkirk to Operation Welcome Home. Man, you've said so much and I can't thank you enough for highlighting what can happen next. And I can't help but think this all sounds like that Bible parable, that famous uh, story of the Good Samaritan. That's where we are going to have to be. We are going to have to be the Good Samaritan. So many good things you put down, Matt. And hey, can we get together again next month? Talk about more about Welcome Home. Yeah. Talk more about how to support those that are still willing to go into danger to help our allies get home. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very cool. Hit me with the website. Where can I find out more information? Where can I find out more on tracking? So uh, we need volunteers for uh, everything we just talked about. They can go to wartimeallies.co and uh, you can sign up there. Hey, tell your buddy there and uh, your friends as your house begins to collect more people in it that we send our best. I look forward to seeing your best. Thank you, Matt Zeller. Thank you. Talk soon. Thanks, brother.
All right, so that does it for this week's show. Thank you for listening. Now, we'd love to hear from you, so follow us on Twitter at IonVeterans, or you can reach me at PhilBriggsVet. I'm always down to get your hot takes and spicy memes, and I'd love to talk to you every week, so please like and subscribe. Hell, even give us a review of the show, because the comments and reviews really help us tailor the show to you. Again, I'm Phil Briggs, Navy veteran and reporter with ConnectingVets.com in Washington, D.C., and I look forward to talking to you again on another episode of CBS Audio's Eye on Veterans. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Farian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.